welcome back to another episode of Product Thinking. I am Kyle Evans. And this week we are talking about 4,000 Weeks, a book review. And first off, I have to apologize for my voice. I have come down with both a cold, which I have been fighting off for a few weeks. And then on top of that, I caught the flu. Uh, So I ended up losing my voice and have slowly been regaining it. So this is me at my very best right now. And hopefully another few days or so, and I will have my voice fully back. But it was much, much worse before. But anyway, we are back now. And I hopefully have enough of a voice that we can get through a decent podcast or two. But anyway, let's talk about this book review. So my wife was stressing about her long to-do list to-do list recently. Clean the kitchen, pick up Christmas gifts, design some shirts, complete some orders for her store, so on. It was an impressively long list, uh, more than she could do in a day or even a few days. And I I was just about finished with the book 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. So I grabbed it, handed it to her, suggesting that she read it. Uh, I can't read a time management book. She told me I already feel bad enough about myself. I assured her that that was the point of reading it. It's not a book about how to squeeze more out of our already overpacked days or a new system for managing tasks. Rather, it's a new way of looking at our time so we don't constantly feel bad about ourselves for not getting through an impossible to-do list which I'm honestly probably the most guilty of. So I've had this book in my reading list for a while now, not even realizing exactly what it was, but I can't think of a better book for product people in December getting ready to start a new year. And of course, if you're listening to this at any other time, it is a great book for any other time that... Uh, you are listening to it, and, and any time that you feel overwhelmed or want to dive in, this is exactly what I needed to change the way I think about my own relationship with time, how I use it, and what I expect for myself. So let's go ahead and dive in. First off, an overview. 4,000 Weeks isn't a traditional time management book or productivity book. In fact, it says right at the beginning, Uh, Quote, this book isn't written in the belief that time management, sorry, this book is written in the belief that time management, as we know it, has failed miserably and that we need to stop pretending otherwise. And I I feel that. The author is a self-proclaimed productivity geek. And I feel like I've been down that same path, trying to get more done, schedule better, crank through the lists that I make for myself. But the average human lifespan is only about 4,000 weeks, hence the title of the book, which in the grand scheme of the universe is unfairly short. And the author acknowledges that. So besides the idea that time management has generally failed, we need a new way of thinking about our lives, our time, because our lives are terrifyingly short. (laughs) Quoting again, so this book is an attempt to redress the balance, 
to see if we can't discover or recover some ways of thinking about time to do justice to our real situation, to the outrageous brevity and shimmering possibilities of our 4,000 weeks. So let's look at a, a few key ideas from the book and what we can learn. So some key ideas. This book was packed with so many ideas that I can't cover them all here in this podcast or in, in my newsletter. You'll have to go read the book to get all of them, and you'll want to do that anyway. It is, it's an excellent read. But I've ref, as I've reflected on the most important ideas, the ones that have stuck with me and changed my thinking the most, uh, these are the key themes that stuck out to me. So first off, embracing our limits. I, like many of you listening, probably consider myself a person who can do everything. I don't accept the idea of limits or limitations. The idea that I can't do it all runs against my very core and has since I was young. I've always tried to do it all. That's a key part of who I am. So accepting that I may not be able to do everything is a little bit jarring to me. But that is exactly what the author proposes, that we accept the fact that we can't do everything. Our time is limited, and no matter how much we try or how productive we make ourselves, we simply can't do more than we're able to. Quoting from the book, it's not just that the situation feels impossible. In strictly logical terms, it really is impossible. This can be a difficult thing to come to terms with, though. The author might as well have been talking about me here as he describes his own realization. So quoting again, though I'd been largely unaware of it, my productivity obsession had been serving a hidden emotional agenda. For one thing, it helped me combat the sense of precariousness inherent in the modern world of work. If I can meet every editor's every demand while launching various side projects of my own, Maybe one day I'd finally feel secure in my career and my finances. Man, I feel that. But it's true. We keep adding to our plates because we feel like there are no limits. We can do everything. And if we can only do a little more, maybe we'll eventually reach a place where everything will come together. And once we realize that we do have limitations, though, we can make the necessary changes and hard choices. Quoting again, so technically, it's irrational to feel troubled by an overwhelming to-do list. You'll do what you can do. You won't do what you can't. And the tyrannical inner voice insisting that you must do everything is simply mistaken. We rarely stop to consider things so rationally, though, because that would mean confronting the painful truth of our limitations. Which is why I love the advice that the book gives about clearing the decks, which is a form of clearing off the easier tasks before you get to the harder ones. Quoting again, instead of clearing the decks, declining to clear the decks, focusing instead on what's truly of greatest consequence while tolerating the discomfort of knowing that as you do so, the decks will be filling up further. The decks could be your email or clutter on your kitchen counter or the list of errands you need to run or, uh, but the key is being able to tolerate the discomfort of a messy desk, which frankly, I'm pretty good at by now, in order to get more important things done. But we have to understand we have limitations. We can't do everything. So what are the most important things we should be doing? And then embrace the discomfort 
of letting go of the rest, which that's the part that I know I'm not good at. And that's really the hard part is it's not necessarily prioritizing some of the most important things, which I think a lot of us can understand, but it's embracing the discomfort of understanding that we're not going to be able to do everything that maybe our office is going to be messy. Maybe we're never going to have a clean inbox, which is something I gave up a long time ago, actually. Um, but there are other things as well that, that can be hard to go, uh, hard to let go of. How can we embrace that discomfort? So that's the first thing. Second thing, embracing uncertainty and chaos. We all like to think that we have a tremendous amount of influence over the future, that we can bend it to our wheel, our will. But the reality is that our plans are likely to go awry, no matter how carefully orchestrated. For those of us in product development, we are most likely familiar with Hofstetter's law, which states that a project always takes longer than expected, even when the law is taken into account, which I love this law. So no matter how well we plan, and even when we give ourselves buffer, that will only make things worse. Time and the future don't follow the path that we prescribe for them, and it often ends up causing us more of the anxiety we're trying to prevent. Quoting from the book, the trouble with being so emotionally invested in planning for the future, though, is that while it may occasionally prevent a catastrophe, the rest of the time it tends to exacerbate the very anxiety it was supposed to allay. The, obs the obsessive planner essentially is demanding certain reassurances from the future, but the future isn't the sort of thing that can ever provide the reassurance he craves for the obvious reason that it's still in the future. So we need to embrace the chaos and uncertainty. Embracing chaos means accepting that life is unpredictable and uncontrollable. It means letting go of the need for order and perfection. Embracing chaos means letting go of the illusion of control and learning to find happiness and fulfillment in the midst of life's unpredictability. Does that mean we don't plan at all? No. But we give up the expectation that our plans will prove successful, successful and the need for certainty. Quoting from the book, our efforts to influence the future aren't the problem. The problem, the source of all anxiety, is the need that we feel from our vantage point here in the present moment to be able to know that these efforts will prove successful. And quoting again, the struggle for certainty is an intrinsically hopeless one, which means you have permission to stop engaging in it. The future just isn't the sort of thing you get to order around like that. So I really like that. All right, final key takeaway. Be more in the present. When I was in college, I used to think, if I can just get past these midterms, then I'll be okay. Then it was, if I can just get past finals, I'll, I can finally relax. After I graduated, I had the same thinking. If I can just get past this end of quarter reporting, then I can be happy. And so it went until I realized I was endlessly putting off being happy or relaxing or doing other things until I just got past something. And that's no way to live. I came to the realization driving home late one night from work that I couldn't keep doing that. And it changed how I thought about a lot of things. And it changed me. The author, in his customary way, has either peered into my life or they bear the fact that I am not unique at all. Uh, quoting from the book, 
once you've cleared the decks, you tell yourself. Or once you've implemented a better system of personal organization, or gotten your degree, or invested a sufficient number of years in honing your craft, that's when you'll feel in control at last. You'll be able to relax a little bit. A true meaningfulness will be found. Until then, life necessarily feels like a struggle. So, to be present, we have to give up this idea of in the future or after the next thing and actually be in time now. The author calls this entering space and time completely and says that it means letting your illusions die. Quoting again, you have to accept that there will always be too much to do, that you can't avoid the tough choices or make the world run at your preferred speed. And in exchange for accepting that, you actually you get to actually be here. Not everything we need to we do needs to be in service of higher productivity or getting things done. We can simply be here. And things can take as long as they take. And that's okay. When I began woodworking, I'm I think I've mentioned that I'm a woodworker. I was shocked and horrified at how long it took to make everything. Part of it was my lack of skill in the beginning. But part of it was simply that making things by hand takes a long time. I came to realize that that is part of the process. It's not a bug, it's a feature. And trying to rush it always leads to bad outcomes. So sometimes we just need to stop looking so much at what's next and simply be in the moment we're in. So wrapping it up, it's not an exaggeration to say that 4,000 weeks has changed how I think about time. It is the book I have been waiting for without realizing it. So I, I've been a tale of conflicting sides. Part of me has been a productivity geek who is looking to optimize time and get stuff done. Anyone who knows me well can tell you about my to-do lists and the way I squeeze small things in throughout the day whenever I can, and my wife hates it. But the other part of me has been fighting the productivity geek. Uh, he's been trying to be more present, spend more time in the moment, and have more fun. And these two have been in immense conflict for several years. But with this book, I now have a framework and a lens to see how I can approach time better and not be in so much conflict with myself. If you feel that you're in conflict or simply feel you're always trying to get more done that you'll never be able to, you should definitely pick up a copy of 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals. Hopefully, it will change your perspective as much as it has changed mine. So. That is the podcast and the newsletter for this week, 4,000 Weeks at Book Review. Um, if you have made it this far with my somewhat hoarse and raspy voice, good for you. Uh, good for sticking with it. I appreciate it. Um, and again, definitely give us a follow wherever you listen to podcasts uh, here at Product Thinking. And if you haven't uh, checked out, check out the newsletter at productthinking.cc. Uh, comes out quite frequently, and uh, you can get the free version or the paid version if you want to support uh, this podcast, support my newsletter, support my writing, uh, all the things that I'm doing. Um, if you also want to follow us on social media, you can definitely do that. Uh, follow uh, Product Thinking at Product Thinking, just one T in the middle. Or follow me at Kyle Larry Evans. And until next time, keep questioning all those assumptions and we will talk again soon if I can talk. See you then.